Hello everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Gaming in the Wild, a video games podcast about games from the artistic, creative side of the tracks, from indie to AAA. My name's John, I'm your host, and this week in Reykjavik, as I'm recording this on a Thursday night, it's grey, it's been raining all day, uh, summer seems to have left us, we're getting darkness at nights again, the darkness is back. So it's no longer midnight sun and closing the curtains counterintuitively to try and sleep. There is actually a little bit of darkness now. And during this this dour, rainy period of our summer, I've had plenty of time for gaming. Um, since finishing Stray, which I covered last week and absolutely loved, it's just been living on. I think about it still all the time, even a week after completing it. Um, I've been looking for the next game that I want to play. And I've been trying out a whole bunch of different games, just looking for the uh, the one that's going to catch my attention, become my main game. And so I'm going to talk through some of those games today. I've got four games to talk about in the intro, before moving on to the game that did catch my attention and become my main game. It's a game that I got on Games With Gold on the Xbox, so it was a game that I got for free, basically, as part of my Game Pass subscription. And it's a really interesting one. Uh, it's a strange little game. It's not what I expected in the best possible way. It's a 2018 game called Yoku's Island Express. So that's going to be the featured game of this episode. I had such good fun with it, and I'm looking forward to talking about it. It's actually currently on sale as well. So um, if you find yourself interested in Yoku's Island Express, after my glowing review that is coming up, then grab it on sale. As I'm recording now, it's on sale for just a few dollars on all platforms. But before I got to Yoku's Island Express, I tried out a whole bunch of stuff. I've been meaning for quite a while to try out the, the Final Fantasy VII Remake. It's a game that I've been very curious to play. As someone that played the original Final Fantasy upon release, I played it back in 1998 when it came out in the UK. Um, I've played, I think I remember that it had four CDs. Uh, it was the first PlayStation game to need four whole CDs and come in a double album case. And I played through that whole damn game, that long-ass JRPG game. I played through it, I beat some of the uh, the optional weapon fights and got to the end of it. And it does have a sentimental place in my heart. Um, it was one of those games like uh, Link to the Past and The Secret of Mana, that was like my introduction to RPG-style games. Um, and so I was curious to try it now. You know, I don't love the modern Final Fantasy, but I've got such fond memories of playing this game that I have wanted to try the remake and at least see if I like it. And it's been an interesting time. It has hit a lot of nostalgia points like I had hoped, um, it's lovely to see those characters again. You know when you just haven't thought about something really for a long time? Like a Cloud with his big spikes of hair, and uh, Tifa, his childhood friend, and Aerith, the strange flower girl, and, and uh, Barrett, and all of these classic characters. And it's been more um, affecting than maybe I thought it would be to see them again. Um, I've been recognising music a lot. The score of uh, Final Fantasy has been really polished up and reworked for this new version. Um, and it's surprisingly true to the original in many ways, I would say. Like, I've had strange moments of remembering the style of gameplay, even though the original was this uh, low-poly, top-down, 
uh, game, and the new one is a fully fleshed out 3D world. Um, it's remarkably true in feel um, and atmosphere to the original game. And it, I've had ups and downs with it. For example, um, Midgar, the city, looks absolutely beautiful. It's like a classic sci-fi dystopian city with a plate high above the ground where the upper crust live and a slum town below the plate, which is dark and shaded and full of trash that gets thrown down. Um, and it looks absolutely beautiful in this version of the game. It's amazing to look out across the vistas that they've created. It's just a phenomenal-looking game. It's so lovely to see that um, that memorable setting just exploded from the original low-poly graphics into this modern, shiny uh, panoramic style, and they've done a loving version of it. Uh, same with the characters. The characters have been updated from... They just had, like, little little grape heads with eyes on them. <laughs> the original the original character models from 1998, which was cutting edge at the time, um, really didn't have a lot of detail on, on the characters at all. And now they are completely modern. They're beautiful. They have... Um, maintained the characteristics that you remember and just been fleshed out, you know, quite literally. So it looks absolutely great. At the same time, the the new game carries a lot of baggage of the JRPG genre and of the original game. So I found myself, as well as marvelling with nostalgia whilst playing, I've also found myself feeling frustrated in a way that is strangely familiar, like running around this this featureless factory, um, looking again and again, doing laps, looking for a, something that I had missed, and then finding a switch that wasn't really signposted well enough. So somehow this, this modern reimagining of a 1998 game has not only ported the atmosphere and the characters and setting incredibly well, but also the flaws of the original game, which is just crazy. Um, it's also got very silly writing, fetch quests, floaty movement, and you, you catch on scenery. Uh, you can't really walk into the world apart from down these narrow corridors that you're allowed to. So a lot of it is just window dressing. Standard JRPG stuff. And so for the first four hours, I was thinking, you know what? I think I don't like this game. I think it's a bad game. I was genuinely thinking, I was kind of hate playing the first four hours, not having a good time. But I stuck with it. I'm glad I did. And there have been a couple of magical sequences since then where the game has just leveled up um, and you're no longer hunting rats and running around fetching things for people in the slum town, but you're fighting giant mechs, climbing to the top of the plate and parachuting back down, meeting characters, uh, moving across the rooftops and the adventure is starting to kick in. And I'm really starting to feel it, um, and I'm really happy that I am. So I'm hoping to get through Final Fantasy VII Remake, and if I do, I will do a full review of it then. Um, I've also been playing a bit of Tales of Arise. I played the demo of it, um, partly because I was moaning about Final Fantasy VII in the show's Discord, um, and Grabloid, who is a patron of the show, um, thanks for the recommendation of Tales, to Ar Tales of Arise. Um, it had been on my radar... But as someone that isn't a big JRPG fan, I'd kind of thought, nah, it's not for me. But it was recommended as like a more modern and kind of more interesting RPG than the Final Fantasy VII Remake. And 
I played the demo, and I was immediately smitten by the absolutely beautiful visual style of it. It's like walking through a watercolour, like a 3D version of something like Gris, almost, with a fairy tale edge to it. Um, it's a party-based action strategy, classic JRPG, with story elements to it, and there's something about it. I think that game has, has got a quality. It reminded me just a touch of Genshin Impact. It reminded me of um, other JRPGs, modern JRPGs that I've played. It definitely shares DNA with Final Fantasy. A little bit of Nino Kuni in there too. Like um, it's definitely of the JRPG genre with complex party-based um, a uh, action strategy combat. Um, but it's just got that little extra magical quality that is making me curious. And after playing the demo, it's on half price sale. So I picked it up for £25 on the PS5. It's got a dedicated PS5 version. And so I'm stocking up on JRPGs, it seems. Um, another little game that I tried whilst looking for my new main game was something that, I mean, I don't even know how I ended up with this on my Switch. Probably just scrolling the uh, the What's New uh, tab on the, uh, the Nintendo eShop. Um, and I ended up with Hot Spring Story demo. So it's a demo of a game called Hot Spring Story. It is an isometric uh, sim game where you are, you know, a little bit like um, Theme Park from back in the day and uh, Theme Hospital and all of those classic isometric games. You have to get systems up and running, build out your hospital ward, um, improve it so that it's processing people better and uh, with greater care and that you've got more doctors, more nurses, more rooms, and you have to build and build and build. Um, theme park is the same. You're like putting in uh, rides, and you're also putting in arcades, you're putting in parking, you're putting in electricity and lights and food concession stalls. Um, hot Spring Story is very much based on that classic model, but you're building a Japanese hot spring, so you're putting in changing rooms, you're putting in dining areas, you're putting in um, spas, private little spa rooms, you're putting trees and vegetation near them so that the view is nice to make it as peaceful as possible. You're trying to make your patrons as happy as possible when they leave so they recommend it to their friends and to grow your hot spring. Um, you can buy more space to make it bigger when you've run out of space. You can invest in nearby amenities such as places to stay and advertising and things like that. And I actually ended up playing this demo for an hour, getting to the conclusion of it, and I had a surprisingly good time. I was just completely absorbed in it, just making my little hot spring grow, trying to get more customers, trying to get happier customers. Um, and I had a great time with it. I, I've put it on my wish list. I don't think it costs that much. And I've got a feeling I'm going to end up buying Hot Spring Story, a completely random uh, pull. I haven't heard anyone else talking about this one. It's just found in the eShop. But I had a good time with it. And maybe for like a, a game that you play when you don't have much mental power and you just want to relax, Hot Spring Story could be a good one. The final game I'm going to talk about before moving on to the featured review is Forza 5, which has just gotten a Hot Wheels DLC. And if you listened to the show last year, you'll know that I was absolutely smitten with Forza 5 Horizon when it came out. Uh, Forza Horizon 5, rather. And to my surprise, because it was on Game Pass, I tried it. I didn't have to pay £60. And to my surprise, 
it's just wonderful. It looks wonderful. It plays incredibly well. It's addictive. You have an open world map to drive around and to enter races and to do stunts and to drive across beaches, just racking up points, winning new cars. Absolutely addictive, gorgeous to look at, amazing car sounds, just a great atmosphere. Um, And it made my Games of the Year list, which surprised no one more than me. Um, And the Hot Wheels DLC came out and I was super excited, re-downloaded Forza to my Xbox it's over 100 gigabytes now, so, you know, it's taking up a significant part of my Xbox Series S hard drive. And to my um, disappointment, it turned out that Hot Wheels is a paid DLC for £20. And I was thinking, oh, I'm not so sure about this anymore. But I really want to play it, um, and I was moaning in the Discord. And the, the big Xbox fan of our show's community, Hopple, friend of the show, patron of the show, uh, very generously... Uh, PayPal'd me some cash and said, get yourself Hot Wheels, get yourself the DLC, uh, play this game, um, and thank you for making the podcast. So big thanks to Hopple, that was such a nice gesture. And I have played a bit of the game, and straight away it took me back into that joyful, gleeful, like laughing, um, just pure enjoyment of playing Forza. It's a Hot Wheels game, so you are driving around improbable Uh, loop the loops and driving up on red tracks that lead up into the sky and getting new uh, cars that are based on Hot Wheels toys. And so it's taken that Forza feeling and applied this fantastical uh, toy element to it that is just um, wonderful. It works incredibly well. Some of the new tracks are just amazing, bouncing over desert and then up tracks down steep slopes and through water, across ice. Just wonderful. Um, It's such a well-made game. Um, I think that the element of fantasy is actually a really nice playful touch. Forza is quite a playful game anyway, the Horizon series at least. And so it works really well to do this collaboration. I think it's a really nice collaboration, a really nice DLC. There is some new stuff in there. There is now G-Force that's pushing down your car if you're driving near vertically and sometimes even upside down. The track twists over like Mario Kart. Um, and it's just so fast that you're, you know, you can feel your hair being pushed back from the speed on the screen. Um, it's got four new biomes. It's got all of that, that Forza gameplay of driving around to enter races and just discovering things in the open world. Um, it's also got a couple of the downsides of Forza. Um, the sycophantic radio DJs are back. There are some bugs like getting disconnected from the internet constantly, um, which I'm surprised hasn't been fixed by now. Um, but overall, it's just wonderful. It's more Forza and it's different. Really cool DLC. So thanks very much to Hopple for um, splashing for me to get the Hot Wheels DLC. I've really enjoyed my time with it so far and I'm going to keep playing it uh, and let's see where it ends up. But before we move on to the featured review of the episode, let me just mention that this show is patron-supported. I would like to say a big thank you to my latest patron, uh, Dave Jackson. Thanks very much, Dave. Dave signed up for the $3 a month tier. Really appreciate that support. Really happy to have uh, Dave joining the Discord. So thanks very much to Dave for being a patron. And you, dear listener, you are absolutely welcome to come and join us on Discord. To do so, you just sign up on Patreon for a dollar a month or more. It's at patreon.com slash gaminginthewild. 
Um, there is also other ways to contribute to the show if you would like to show support. You can leave reviews on iTunes or Spotify. You can go to gaminginthewild.com to buy me a Ko-Fi coffee. I'm never sure what that's called. And there is also a PayPal button for one-off tips if you'd like to do so. I'm planning to upgrade some more of my stuff soon to try and make the show sound better. So if you're a regular listener, that's very much appreciated. And a big thank you to all of my existing patrons. That's patreon.com slash gaminginthewild. And with that said, let's move on and talk about the featured game of this episode, Yoku's Island Express. So Yoku's Island Express is a 2018 game made by Villa Guerrilla, published by Team17. It's available on PC and all of the consoles. I got it, as I mentioned, on Xbox Games with Gold, which is like a free couple of games that you get every month if you're on higher tiers of Game Pass. But it's currently on a massive sale. It's $4 on PlayStation Store, $5 on Switch, and it's on sale in... Europe as well, so it's £4 if you want to get it on the Switch, where it would be a good fit, I think. I, of course, played it on Xbox. It ran absolutely flawlessly. No bugs, no crashes, perfectly clean game. A real uh, pleasure to play a game that is just so well done, well put together, completely finished, flawless in that respect. How Long to Beat has this game at 5.5 hours and up to 11 hours for completionists, so you can double the length of it if you want to. I finished it in four hours, so this is really rare. I think this might be the first time that I have ever beaten the mean time for a quick playthrough on Metacritic, so I've accidentally speedrun this game, and I've got a theory about why, which I will get to in a bit. Uh, Metacritic has it at an average of 83% across the formats, so it reviewed very well. It was nominated for three BAFTAs, Best Family Game, Best Indie Game, and Best Debut Game, uh, which is high praise indeed. And the developers describe it like this. Meet Yoku, the pint-sized postman protagonist of Yoku's Island Express. Use a unique blend of pinball mechanics, platforming, and open-world exploration to unlock the secrets of Moku Mana Island, help the locals, awaken ancient deities, and much more in this amazing tropical adventure. And my take on this one is that it's an original and clever combination of Metroidvania and pinball game. You play a cute little beetle called Yoku. You run around, solve puzzles, push your little ball, talk to the island's denizens, and bop Yoku through brilliant pinball puzzles as you explore a wonderfully crafted tropical island. Um, and this game has a tropical feeling, actually. It's very, very colourful, um, very lush, very uh, nice visual style to it, and a very good mood, as you're probably hearing from the, uh, the music. It's a breezy game. It's got that short hike kind of vibe to it. And it's like that from the start. The game starts when Yoku is rafting across the ocean, but is swept away by a giant wave, shipwrecked on the shores of a mysterious desert island. Um, on the beach, they meet a postman 
who is retiring, and they thrust a satchel into Yoku's little beetle hands, and they say, hey, you're the new postman. I'm glad you're here. Welcome. I am leaving. Things have been crazy on this island. Everything's going nuts, and I'm out of here. Good luck with your new job. And Yoku is like, okay, whatever, man. Uh, straps on the satchel. And Yoku is like a tiny little pink beetle, little antenna, six little legs, and rattles along, pushing a ball, pushing a marble, like a, a stag beetle, or like a dung beetle, pushing along a ball. And is, is kind of roped to the ball, um, which will come in very useful because of the, uh, the aforementioned pinball mechanics. So that's where the game begins. It begins on a beach, it begins on an island with crashing sea, nice sound effects, clear blue sky. Um, you push your little wall across the beach and into a forest. And it's all very much like Ori. It reminded me a lot of the Ori games, except you know how Ori is kind of fantastical, lots of purples, lots of deep pastels, lots of pinks, lots of darkness and neon mossy green. Um, it's a very fantastical, mysterious kind of game. Um, imagine if, it, instead of being set in a mournful Disney forest, um, Ori was a happy game with the atmosphere of Spyro the Dragon just running around talking to cartoon creatures instead. But it has some gameplay similarities that bring Ori to mind. Um, and you quickly discover that the island is super fun. It's very vertical. It has lots of different biomes, a lush forest, a snowy mountain, a bug hive, caves, a massive waterfall that sweeps down the middle of the island, all sorts of places to explore, and different kinds of animals live all over the island, and they all have a bit of chat for you. Some of them ask for favours or ask you to do jobs. You meet a couple of rabbits who are like, could you scare away these little ash creatures that are have us pinned in and trapped here and you drop off a little ledge and I was very surprised at this point in the game I thought this was just a platformer like a happy little platformer and I was very surprised to see that if I hit the trigger buttons on my joypad um, I would flip pinball flippers and bop Yoku's little ball around and the beetle is just pulled behind the ball and so suddenly it's a pinball game it's a platform pinball game um, there are puzzles using pinball flippers. Um, you have to flip up onto platforms. You have to trigger switches. All of the trappings of a pinball table, but made in the visual style of whatever biome you're in. So if you're in a forest, there's like a clump of leaves that acts as a bumper. Um, and before I knew it, I was just flipping little Yoku around the screen and just smiling broadly with this breezy music in the background just marvelling at what an odd combination of elements this game has and and just how well it was working right off the bat. I use the word platformer advisedly with this game. Yoku can't jump at all. Yoku can just run left and right, can sound a whistle to um, wake up sleeping things and to trigger environmental effects. And instead, there are pinball mechanics. So if you want to jump, if you want to get up, even just a little bit, you have to find a flipper and bounce yourself up there or fall down from above. So it's not like any platformer that I've played. Um, and I haven't played a game that combines pinball and platforming. Um, 
There is one game I've heard of that has come out since this one that uses pinball mechanics in an unexpected way. That's Beast Breakers. Uh, it's like a boss rush game. We have to use a pinball to battle giant creatures or insects. Haven't played it. Want to? It's on my wish list. But honestly, I haven't played anything quite like this, and that's unusual in of itself, you know, to play something unlike other games to a large degree. Um, and the interesting way that this unfolds is that the pinball environments come up regularly. Half the time you're just running around the island, running up hills, talking to people, collecting fruit, collecting upgrades, etc. Um, but the, the rest of the time you will enter these pinball areas, which are puzzles. And so you're bopping Yoku around, suddenly playing pinball, um, like you would on a pinball table. Uh, bouncing down the rails, trying not to lose your ball, trying to trigger different effects on the table. Um, and it's, it's just absolutely wonderful. Each little pinball arena is a puzzle. Some of them are like multi-room puzzles where you bounce, you open one room, suddenly you're in the next one, and then you're in the next one, and they climax somehow. Uh, with an especially hard puzzle or an es especially interesting moment. Um, and I never got stuck once on the puzzles of Yoku's Island Express, which, um, I, which says a lot for the game. I found it incredibly intuitive to figure out exactly what I was supposed to be doing in any given time, in any given puzzle, um, throughout the entire game. Um, it was just joyful. Just one of those games that you just zip through having a great time um, and there's nothing bad there's no moments of frustration there's no frowning no head scratching no looking up solutions i absolutely love it when that happens when you play something and you smile all the way And after that intro sequence, you find your way up to a village. There is a bunch of uh, different types of animals, just anthropomorphized animals of all different types, just living together. And of course, there is something wrong. There is a, a bit of tension on the island. The, the godlike creature that looks over the island, very much like the nature guardians of Ori, has been put to sleep and put under a curse. Um, and you have to find out what's going on. As the new postmaster of, of this island, you have to run around the island, deliver messages to people, find the elders of the different tribes and get them to come to the village um, to figure out what's up and to fix the problem. Um, it's one of those games where there is a map that is uncovered as you travel. So it's a fogged out map. And at the village, three pins go into your map in different corners of the island, all fogged out. And you just have to walk towards them. So all you really have is a direction to head in. And on your way there, you will have to solve puzzles, you will have to do pinball tables, do traversal puzzles, find your way around these tangled one-way environments, quite linear at times, but in a really fun way, much like Ori. Uh, find your way to the Elders, um, and that's your quest. So off you go, out into the snowy peaks and the crystal caves and uh, lush forests of this island to find the village Elders and to try and set things right. There's a lot to do along the way. There are side quests, you get parcel deliveries, specific parcels to specific people. You find relics for um, an archaeologist who is looking for old mysteries of the island. You can power up your bag, 
um, to hold more items. You have a constant meter of fruit, which you use to unlock doors and to unlock flippers to take you to new, higher places. Um, and you get fruit through collecting it in the environment, through breaking pots, and through playing pinball. So there is a, a light progression to this. There are a couple of special abilities that you get also that allow you to, for example, swim or to um, take out enemies that you'll find along your way. There's no combat, but there are antagonists in the game. Um, and so you have to unlock these things. There's a Metroidvania element to it. You might see strange um, graphic features in the environment and wonder what they are, but it all becomes clear later how you can use them. And before you know it, you are flipping and flying all over this island with a, a nice sense of carefree mobility. Um, there is a Metroidvania vibe to the whole thing, so you will find yourself doing loops around places you've been before. Um, it's maybe my one criticism of the game, is that because the environment is often one way, if you, for example, take a tumble from a high place or take a wrong turn, you can find yourself doing laps of places you've been before. But because there is a Metroidvania element, perhaps if you go back to the starter area of the game, you will find new things that you couldn't access before. So depending on how much of a completionist you are, you can do a fairly linear playthrough of this game in just a few hours, or you can stretch it out to a full 12 hours-ish and finish every quest, and polish off every side quest and find every item. Uh, it's up to you how you want to play this one. It accommodates all kinds of players. And I actually really enjoyed the way that this game progresses and opens up as you play. Um, there is a fast travel system that is unlike anything that I've kind of seen in this kind of game. Um, it's called the Beeline, and you have to unlock it as you progress. Um, it will fl fly you, will fling you over large parts of the island. Um, there is an interactive element to it in that when you land in a catapult, you have to press a button to flick yourself to fly in which direction you want to fly in. Um, it's a little bit like the Death Stranding zip lines. If you've played Death Stranding, you can kind of use it to fly over the entire island. It's a little bit like a tube system for this island with a few different lines that will take you to different places. There are also some notes of, I would say, Hollow Knight, mostly because of the bug theme. I think um, a 2D bug-related metroidvania with a map that unfogs as you explore can't help but be compared to Hollow Knight a little bit. There are also many, many notes of Ori and the, the Will of the Wisps and Ori and the Blind Forest in the, the cuddliness of the of the characters and the, the childlike uh, kids' TV feeling of the whole thing. It's a little Disney-like. Definitely some notes of Spyro the Dragon, I would say, in the joyful colourful vibe of the whole thing and the great music. It's a game to just get lost in and have a good time in. Um, so I had a really good time with this one. I would say the positives of Yoku's Island Express are the great visuals, the lovely breezy jolly soundtrack. It's a nice mood all around. Uh, the biomes were really distinctive. They were all really fun um, and it wasn't just like a fireland and an iceland. They were all pretty distinctive and really enjoyable, and the characters that were there seemed to belong there. Um, really, really fun moving through this game. It's just a, a, a real pleasure. Um, the moment-to-moment -moment gameplay is great. The pinball implementation is really nice. It's just very ingenious. Um, I played Pinball Dreams and Pinball Fantasies 
on the Amiga when I was a kid, and I haven't played a pinball game since then, so it was waking up something inside of me uh, to play a pinball game again. Um, I think that's maybe why I got a little bit of childhood nostalgia playing this game. Um, the puzzles are incredibly intuitive, very clear, very readable from cues without that much guidance, although the game does teach you very well um, what you should be doing. It's perfectly tutorialized, minimally, but perfectly tutorialized. And it's just very clear. It's very good design. Um, I found that I was in mind meld with what I was supposed to be doing. Like I understood what the developers were trying to give me in a way that's quite rare. Um, I think the last time that happened was in the game The Pedestrian, which is a really cool puzzle game where I just felt like I was in lockstep with the intention of the developer in the most positive way. Um, it's also full of nice touches. There are really funny and spectacular moments where like, a big on-screen animation happens that might take you a little bit by surprise, like a big change to the environment or a big change in a character, um, something blasting off, something collapsing. Um, they're pretty graphically interesting moments, like more than I would expect from a game of this type, I'll say that. So there were some nice surprises along the way. Um, it felt like finishing a big quest always ended with something worthwhile. Um, there were a couple of really ingenious and enjoyable boss fights um, in a pinball format, if you can imagine that, with some multi-ball and things like that that just came out of nowhere. I felt like this game was surprising me quite a lot. There are also loads of secrets to find. Um, there are those kind of invisible walls where you run into the wall and it turns out that it's a hidden cavern, so you can find things everywhere. And your curiosity is usually rewarded in this game. Um, I would say that it incentivizes your curiosity in a way that I really like. If you go looking, you will usually find. Uh, the game's a really nice size. The map is a nice size. Um, the game doesn't outstay its welcome. It has uh, loads of secrets for those who want to keep playing after the credits. In fact, it's a little bit like one of those games that has the credits halfway through the game. Um, and there's a whole second half if you want to keep playing. In terms of negatives, the only downsides are you can find yourself wandering around if you get lost. Um, the map isn't perfect. Sometimes you'll head for a pin and find that there is a wall between you and it, and you have to take a huge circle around through an obscure one-way system to get there. So you can find yourself banging your head against the wall just occasionally. Um, sometimes you take a long fall and you end up in a completely different biome, kind of back to square one. You have to work your way through areas that you've already been through because it's such a vertical environment and you can take a long drop if you take a wrong turn or hit the uh, Yoku's ball wrong with a flipper. Um, I would say that a couple more abilities would have been nice. For example, powering up your ball to smash through boulders or something like that would have been really cool. There is only really the vacuum, the swimming, and a, a hookshot mechanic. Um, I felt like there could have been more, you know, just a couple more things just to to reward you uh, for big quests with more abilities. would have been really nice, but, you know, what's here is really good. Overall, this is a beautifully made game, honestly. There is nothing really wrong with it outside of those couple of quibbles that I have. I don't really have a bad word to say about it. It's pure fun. Um, a lovely little video game on deep sale now. I absolutely recommend that you pick this up. It's under £5, euros or dollars, on Switch and PlayStation. Um, I think it's the best cheap sale game you'll get all year. Absolute riot. That's Yoku's Island Express.
so that's our episode. I hope you enjoyed that review of Yoku's Island Express. That game was just such a nice surprise to me. I just really wasn't expecting a pinball game, a Metroidvania pinball game. I'm just really glad that game exists, and I'm really glad that I have stumbled across it. Um, and as I've been posting out about my playthrough, it turns out it's pretty well loved. I'm surprised that I hadn't heard more about it, considering just how much of a high quality game it is. Um, but that's our show. I'll be back next week with a new episode. Not sure what I'll be talking about. I am playing, I'm replaying Nobody Saves the World. I have it on Switch now. Um, I think it's the kind of game that I want to throw my feet up and play in bed or play on the sofa. So it's a perfect Switch game. I don't have a Steam Deck so I can't uh, Game Pass in a handheld. Although I have been wanting a Steam Deck more and more so that I can play Xbox Game Pass and so that I can play my Steam library in handheld format. Maybe one day when the Steam Deck becomes more accessible, I'll take that leap. So who knows what it will be about. Um, I have Final Fantasy Remake on the go. I have Ghost of Tsushima on the go. Um, I'm playing Hot Wheels, uh, the Forza DLC. Um, there is loads of new stuff coming to Game Pass all the time. Um, I have Tales of Arise. I've just got no idea what I'll be playing a week from now. I did also get a code for the Cuphead DLC and base game. I have never played Cuphead. I'm scared of it. I don't like frustrating games, but I absolutely adore the look of it, the art style of it, the music. Um, and so now that the, uh, the the delicious last course of Cuphead has come around, I'm a little curious to get involved and just at least try it for myself, you know? I mean, I never thought I'd play a Dark Souls game, and, and there's now like a two-hour episode about Elden Ring um, in the backlog of this podcast. So who knows? Maybe I'll become a Cuphead person, or maybe I will just bounce hard. Um, I got a code for the PlayStation, so I'll be firing that one up as well uh, at some point in the future. Um, and I can already hear the cries of people asking me to stream it. Not a chance, guys. I'm too easily frustrated. I don't want you to, to see that side of me on stream. Um, I am thinking that I'm going to stream a little bit of Stray, though, uh, at some point in the future. I really want to just run around and Stray again. I also think it's the kind of mellow game that you can uh, play and talk about at the same time. Um, the patrons of the show are slowly finishing that game off, so it won't be spoiler territory anymore. So you can check out the show's Twitch channel, at Gaming in the Wild. You can also follow me on Twitter. Tell me what you thought of Yoku's Island Express. Um, there's a thread going on Twitter right now about what do you consider to be a perfect game. And there are over 100 replies now, so you can see what people have been thinking is perfect. It ranges from Tetris to Super Mario World, to Horizon Zero Dawn, to uh, Red Dead Redemption 2. There is all kinds of games that people are making their case for. So come say hi on Twitter, see that thread. I always love to hear from people that have been listening to the show. Um, I'm also on Facebook and YouTube and in other places. You can find it all at GamingInTheWild.com. And that's it for this week. Take care of yourselves and each other, and bye-bye for now.